The New Testament scripture reading is from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 15. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplant your, supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the internal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we... Um, think about the author of this passage, the Apostle Peter, and how he um, was weak in his faith. He, he overestimated his faith. He became, thought he was bold, and he ended up denying the Lord Jesus. But then he writes this, and that just gives me hope. It gives all of us hope the way you receive us, restore us, build us back up, and use us to encourage other people. And so we pray that you would take this word and we pray that you would uh, change us. In Christ's name, amen. Now, it has been said, and I have uh, quoted this, that marriage is a formative institution. That is, what the bride and groom are up there pledging, they're not yet. Right? But as they aspire toward those promises and pledge, that promise becomes the basis of their growth. Those vows and pledge become the basis of who they become and how they grow. And there's a similar principle at work in this passage. Now, in this farewell letter of the Apostle Peter, he is teaching that it's God's gracious promise that leads to character change and character growth. 
It's the promise of God that leads to change. And this isn't an incidental or side issue in the Christian life. How do we know that? Well, if you have one last shot to speak to someone you love, you're going to say what's most important on your heart. And this is foremost in Peter's mind. That the people he's pastoring and that he loves, it's almost with his dying breath, and they're facing false teaching, with his dying breath he would want you to know, I want you to know the relationship between the promise of God, the grace of God, and life change and becoming more like God. So, not something incidental we're looking at tonight. And as we press on, and we'll be in this for a couple more weeks, the series on experiencing the Word of God, let's look at experiencing the promise of God in two parts of it. The participation in the promise of God and the obligation from the promise of God. Participation and obligation, okay? First of all, the participation. Now, Peter starts with really an astoundingly hopeful promise that we, that those that are united to God through Jesus and any that would believe that we, can, we may become partakers of the divine nature. Now, what does that mean? Now, in ancient Greek and Roman philosophy, or religion, it was believed that you could be elevated to the place of deity. You could become a god. And it's actually reflective of the first temptation, Right? You can become like God. But that isn't what Peter means here. In the Christian faith, uh, Christian theology, there's this understanding and distinction between qualities which we share or reflect of God and those that we do not. Between what are called communicable attributes and incommunicable attributes. So while we would share and can reflect the goodness of God and the compassion of God in the love of God, we will not be omnipresent everywhere. We do not possess a satiety. That means to be an utterly free, independent being. We will not be infinite. And so Peter is not saying we share in those qualities. But what he is saying is not small potatoes, folks. It's not small stuff. You know, there are even religions and beliefs, whether you, you, know, you go back to ancient Rome or modern versions of this, or I would even say humanism and its teaching of the superman and to be superhuman. This idea that, you know, we're going to really boast, uh, you know, really exalt people up to this place, and that's what's going to help us become who we're supposed to be. But the problem, it just requires too much denial. Right? I have to close my eyes to my faults, my finiteness, and it ultimately sets you up for despair and hopelessness. That's not what we're being set up with. But at the same time, while we're not being promised to become deity, we're being promised some major things, like everything we need for life and godliness. What doesn't that cover? 
everything we need for life and godliness. Even during a pandemic, even amidst a hard family situation, even during chronic illness, even in these times of polarization, everything we need to live in a way where our integrity doesn't go out the window no matter how bad the fire gets. You can actually keep your character. Not only that, grow. <laughs> grow in your character. You know, there, there is a psalm that says, you know, those that... Um, belong to the Lord, have no dread of bad news. No fear of bad news. Man, that so nails me. I don't know about you. But I can think about a hundred what-ifs every day of what will happen to me and the people I love. You know. And I don't know it's part of, you know, my background where if something goes well, you're just thinking like, other foot's going to fall, right? Just this view of God that, all right, I got blessed, and now he's going to come back around. Everything we need for life and godliness, power for that. And it's not heightened human power. Because elsewhere we're taught that it's actually immeasurably great power, mighty strength. It is the power, the same power that was demonstrated when Jesus busted up death. When Jesus broke death and brought it to its knees. That power, and I, you know, so I, I don't even have a job to try to convince you to be the motivational speaker, right? Don't let me go back to a bad SNL skit at this point, right? I do do an imitation of that, but only in private. Uh, but right, to, you know, where we have to kind of pump everybody. No. A measurably, measurably great power, because this is part and part, well, I'm going to get to that. So how do we get this power? This is even the best news of all. It comes by grace. In verse 3, we're told, this power is granted or bestowed. It's a gift. Now consider how different this is. You look at that ladder of virtues, and it's really not a ladder. It's a list of virtues. And basically, across the history of human religion and philosophy, the idea is, if I can ascend that, if I can become a better me, if I can let my best angels shine, then I'll get the prize. I'll get the favor of God. I'll get the blessing of God. Instead, he's saying something quite different, isn't he? He's saying here that it's given by God. It's actually part and parcel of an even greater promise of God giving himself to us. When Jesus said to his followers, the Father and I will send another, the Holy Spirit, and he will come, and he will give you power. The Holy Spirit gives us new birth, and he opens up the treasury. So then, where our little distorted mind goes... Okay, 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 you know, it's not by work, it's not my merit, it's by faith, that's what the Christian faith teaches, it's by faith, but you know, we'll even turn faith into a work, right? For some of us, you know, uh, faith can become an idol. Like, if I just had stronger faith, you know, if I, when someone gives you a gift, and I'm not saying we shouldn't aspire to stronger faith, 
But you've got to start at this point. Uh, if someone gives you a gift, um, you reach out with your arms, and you take the gift and you open it. But reaching out with your arms and opening, opening the gift doesn't make the gift a gift, right? It doesn't create the gift. It doesn't make the giver give the gift. It's you receiving. This is what faith is. It's receiving the gift of God's grace. It comes by grace. Well, what about effort? We'll get to effort in a second. But we're told in verse 9, and, th- and this really, in my own personal journey, this particular verse really was like, it just at one point in my Christian life was like a lightning bolt and really changed me. When I was reading through that list, all this stuff, and then all of a sudden, in verse 9, Peter says, and if the reason you're not growing is because you've forgotten the gospel. If the reason you're not growing, it's because you've forgotten. What does he say? For whoever lacks these qualities didn't try hard enough. Whoever lacks these qualities, well, their faith isn't strong enough. Whoever lacks these, no, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. You've lost sight of the promise of grace. That's why you're not growing. So that immediately changes the way we start to analyze ourselves, doesn't it? You think about an area in your life where you're not growing. And the starting point where we typically go is, yeah, i got to wake up earlier. You know, I need to pray more. I'm going to try. All that stuff. We put the card before you. You've got to start even deeper than that and go, what is it? about God's grace and his work that I'm not connected in, that I don't receive. Not only I don't believe, but I, I don't receive. Like, like he wants to forgive you after you screw up, but you're kind of like, no, nah, I can't receive that. I got to do, give me about five days of penance. Put me on five days of emotional probation. And then I'll kind of do well enough and, and then, you know, kind of you know, warm myself up to you. He wants to forgive us. Absolution, forgiveness, and cleansing comes from believing the promise. Now, let, let's put it this way. And I think one of the reasons we get into this is because we have a common belief in our society that um, good deeds will erase bad deeds. Now, think about this for a second. Imagine a friend of yours is washing their car, and you, you walk over. That doesn't really happen much in the city because none of us have hoses that can reach the car, and you're afraid you've got the other car wet, right? But imagine that, okay? You've seen it before. Imagine someone washing their car, and a friend, and you go over, and they've got the bucket of suds and the hot water, and the car's dirty, and, uh, you know, they're picking up the thing, and you notice that, you notice that the rag is just like oil-streaked and stained. And yet they're sitting there, you know. See, this is like you and I trying to erase our guilt with our good deeds. You know, no, no matter how good our deeds are, they're not as pure as they could be, right? You know, either the motive gets off, or afterward, after I do it, I'll like get puffed up in there. You know, none of us, so that's not going to work. And then not to mention, every time that we get one off, we notice there's another spot. And so, 
What we're given instead of that, the promise of grace, God sends a promised one. A promised one, the Messiah. The one that would come and justify and atone and cleanse. Jesus Christ. God provides someone's, someone's deeds that don't have any oil streak in them. His deeds can actually be transferred to your account. His deeds can actually wash away sin. And it's as you and I, what, what I'm saying is this, is when you and I forget the promise of grace, it doesn't just impact your conscience, it impacts your character. It doesn't just impact kind of like your psychology of what you believe. It is inhibiting your change, your growth, my growth. It's when you and I progress in the knowledge of Christ and his promise, we progress in character. Now, I had an experience of that this week. I'm on this group text with some pastors, and uh, uh, a mentor, a guy named Scotty Smith, is, he, he sends us texts two or three times a day just encouraging us with the gospel. I mean, it's really humbling. But, uh, you know, but every morning I wake up and there's that text. And, and some days I'm like, hey, you know, I guess, Scotty, your, your gospel enthusiasm needs to come like at 10 o'clock. <laughs> you know, but anyway, this is the one I got this past week, one of them. The skinny, colon. God's favor permanently rests on us. Jesus is our righteousness, constant advocate. The Holy Spirit sealed for us eternity and witnesses nonstop to our sonship. Our Father loves us as much as he loves Jesus. There be enough grace for anything today. We're free to serve. Now, something stopped me because there are times I read it and I go, yeah, amen, but something, I, God was just like, you need, you need to stop experience God's word. And so I just stopped with this idea, God's favor permanently rests on me. I want you to hear that about you. God's favor permanently rests on you who believe. No change, no up and down, no a little bit later, permanently rest. Now, if you and I took that into who we are, how would that make you want to live? How could that motivate your character in a deep, transforming way? That's the connection between the two. I mean, I, I could think of, you know, ten ways in my life. If I really believed that, I'd walk out of my door with different confidence. I'd probably slow down for people. I wouldn't be dreading this and that. I wouldn't be anxious. You, know, you go through it yourself. But also, to finish this point, the promise not only comes by grace, it comes, it's delivered by word. Delivered by word. Uh, now, that may seem redundant, but look at, uh, look at this. Granted, Precious and very great promises, through them we escape corruption. Through them. That's the delivery mechanism. Now, um, think about 
words that have had big impact on you. It wasn't just what was said, it was who that said it. A mentor, a friend. Like the one, good words that actually change us. It's not just what they said, there is a personage behind it. And so Peter says to us, one filled with glory and excellence has spoken a word. This is what I'm saying. You and I need more than happy thoughts. We need more than good thoughts. We even need more than paraphrased word of God in our own head. We even need more than a fallible preacher up here trying to explain it. We need the very word of God. The very word of God because it carries effectual power with it. And so promises of grace, and, and we may have different promises in our lives, and they're fine promises. Someone said, hey, you have like a serpent. Yeah, God, uh, he has plans to prosper me and not harm me. Great. He'll never leave me or forsake me. Great. But if you don't understand how those, connect, uh, those promises follow into the big promise and the promised one, the promise of grace, it's not going to really help much. So, we need the promises of God himself. How does something, how do the promises become precious and very great? How do they, right? They become that way because you and I and our great need and our sin and our guilt and our failures and our weakness, we need them and they're just so sweet. Okay, but let's talk about obligation because the word effort comes up a lot. There is effort involved. Peter says, make every effort be all the more diligent. Peter talks about he'll make every effort. But there's something about effort. First of all, it has to be a well-placed effort. A well-placed effort. Uh, how many of you have jumped on a trampoline? Okay. I'm going to ask some of these guys here. Where, where is the best place to jump on a trampoline to get the highest? Middle. In the center, you're exactly right. You want to jump in the center, right? You've got to jump in the center of God's promises. If you're going to get higher, that's where you want to put the effort. I was, um, I'll get back to that. But this is what I think, this is, this is where Christians, believers, sincere believers, we, we get messed up because we unhinge deeds from a promise. We've got two modes. We've got believe mode and do mode. We've got believe mode and do mode. So believe mode is this part where I'm like, I believe in God. I believe that he's forgiven me. I believe in the afterlife that he's with me. And then we've got do mode for character growth. I'm going to go change. I'm going to do this. But I want you to notice before Peter says make every effort, what does it say? There's a little phrase. Anybody have that there? Anybody? Three words. For, for this. 
for this very reason, four words. And so immediately you got to go, what reason? Everything he just said. Because of what I've said about God's promises and his grace, because of that very reason, because that's real. Later he says, because you've been cleansed from your sins. Because of that, make every effort. You've got good reason to make effort. If you're trying to make every effort connected, disconnected from what God has given us in Christ, it is a fool's errand. You'll be burned out. I caution you against it. Don't make every effort without the grace of God. Don't be religious without the grace of God. Don't try to be a good person without the grace of God. Did I just say that? I'm trying to make a point here. The do mode and the believe mode are working together. Listen, listen, it's tricky. I admit it's tricky. Listen how the Apostle Paul puts it. So I toil, even struggle, with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. That's what we're talking about here. And the way that energy comes to us is through the promise of the gospel and the spirit. So I want to ask you, is your effort misplaced or where is it misplaced? Because, right, and where we want it to be, when I was on my way here, we had our block party today, and um, the folks on our block always rent a moon bounce. And, uh, you know, I was going by, and I looked at it, and you see these kids, you know, they're you know, just bouncing up and down, screaming and laughing, and I, you know, I couldn't help but smile, but I was like, that's supposed to be you and I, bouncing on the promises of God. Right in the center, bouncing, bouncing, bouncing on the grace of God, getting higher and higher and being joyful. You know, it's a great little beautiful reminder, but not only a well-placed effort, a well-aimed effort. So I told you I'm trying to relearn golf. And, uh, and so, how do I even recount all these steps? Anyway, but the point is, I'm trying to relearn golf, and, you know, my, this guy that's teaching me, he's really great. Um, but we finally go out and hit, like, real golf, live golf together, you know. And this is kind of the test. But he's, you know, and I've got it down where I pretty much can go remember my steps and get the thing airborne and get it up and going. And so, you know, I was like, all right, here we go. And so what I was happening the whole day, though, was I was hitting it. And it was like, it really looked good. And then I'd walk up to the ball, and it was 40 yards from the hole. And, and he pointed out something, you know, very, uh, uh, very important, very insightful. He was like, you're aiming in the wrong direction. <laughs> like, you know, it doesn't matter, right, how good your effort is. Like, if the hole is there and you're here, that's where you're hitting it. So... It's not just like a well-placed effort. You've got to have a well-aimed effort, right? And so, uh, you know, the original audience, when they heard this list, they would immediately just thought, well, these are virtue lists because that's what you had in Greek and Rome, and a lot of them were similar, except this list is different in two ways. It starts with faith and it ends with love. Ancient lists didn't have that. Starts with faith, ends in loves. How does that change the way we think about things? Two ways. With the end goal, 
being love means that we are not just being called to morality, right? We're not being called to, to sheer morality or just to be a good person. God is calling us to love. And his version of love, not just our version of love or sort of the culture thing of, you know, just love people and, like, love is hard, right? There are people in your life right now that are hard for you to love. And so you're connected with, this ain't an easy thing. This isn't just morality. In fact, I would say uh, the Christian religion uh, without love will be an exercise of morality that only leads to self-righteousness. And so to the degree that you and I uh, remember love, it brings us down to humility. Without it, there's no way not to become a self-righteous, judgy person. Um, You can be a moral person and lack love. The second one, though, so the end is love, but the means, the means is faith. We talked about this a little bit, but I want to come back to it. And and here I was thinking about... um, I was thinking about how we deploy our effort. So I, I may have mentioned this once before, but I was thinking about it a little bit more. So if you are familiar with the, the Pride and Prejudice, I, you know, I mentioned Pride and Prejudice because, you know, the BBC version we, we drank in as a family. I'm talking about the one, the original BBC version, right? With uh, Colin Firth. Are, you, are we with me on this? Yeah, you know, the original one, the movies have been fine, but, you know, and this was before he became big. But, you know, he's, he's unsufferably proud, and he, um, and he there's a scene in, the, in they put, they, they insert into the series that's not in the book that my wife has told me and other people have told me, because I didn't read the book. So anyway where at the height of his frustration that he's attracted to Elizabeth and doesn't want to be, but he's also seeing his own foolishness and sin, in the height of that, trying to overcome his attraction to her and his pride, and so he goes and fences. You know, it's like, they put that in there, he's like going to beat it that way. That was a bad insert. Because, you know, what really does it is... is when he humbles himself. That's, that's when he beats it, right? We, we don't fence our virtues to death, right? That's not how we're going to win this thing. Um, and I, I want to read two, two verses that... I, listen to the connection, okay? And we'll wrap this up here. Listen to the belief and the trust and the way the do and believe mode and the way we're transformed. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. I believe the gospel. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has nothing to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. There it is. We just moved right that point. We moved into effort. We moved into duty. But we love because he first loved us. 
That's how you love in the Christian faith. You can't love, you love to the degree that you've been loved. Then one short one. Therefore be imitators of God. Make every effort to be like God. How? As beloved children. And walk in love. Walk in love. Make every effort to love every day. Be diligent to love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering to God. Do you see how this is working? How the promise of the word becomes the place as we experience the gospel that way where we begin to change. And then Peter says this, Our theme this year is what? Yeah! You got it! I was immediately going to feel like, you know, we failed in any communication vision. Spiritual practice is what we're focusing on. So lest we think it doesn't take practice, Peter says, if you practice these things, you will never fail. Right? As you and I practice these things in love, guess what? It turns back around. It's kind of like judo. It flips around. As you and I believe the love, we act on the love, it grows the belief in the love, and we're growing. We're on our way. The tires are spinning. We're beginning to work and to change. We're not, as uh, I was in our pastor's meeting with, uh, with the network pastors, Russ and Duke, and we were talking just about discipleship and how people, how we in our tradition, you know, the strengths it has and the weaknesses. And then Russ just kind of said, yeah, I, I said, why, why do we have this tendency? And I forget what I was, point I was making. He said, because we operate like we're brains on a stick. I was like, yeah, that's probably true, you know. This stuff is embodied. We practice it. So that's what we're doing here together. That's what we're trying to do in the city, right? Trying to do with our roommates and our families. Practicing this gospel, growing in love. Let's pray. We thank you for your word of promise. We thank you for the promise of the gospel. We thank you for, you've given us everything we need, even for this time right now, to grow in these things and this time right now. Lord, would you help us to believe today and tomorrow more strongly that we've been cleansed, that we're beloved, 